Welcome to The Airwave, West Yorkshire Internal Medicine Teaching Collaborative Podcasts, in association with Airedale General Hospital and Bradford Royal Infirmary, a Chief Registrar Programme Initiative. On today's podcast, Dr. Muna Haddadine will be leading us on a discussion about advanced care planning and prior cases. I think that we've uh, spoken uh, pretty well about uh, breaking bad news and advanced care planning. The thing is, is that we could go on forever talking about these because everyone has their own views and their experiences. It's a really, it's a really interesting topic to a lot of people. I think we should move on to maybe situations that you have been put in previously that have either left a mark on you or you think that it was, it was interesting and our listeners would like to hear about them. Want to start with you, Mark? Do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? I have what I think is quite an interesting story, but I think highlights one of the challenges from the COVID pandemic and was also me as a much junior doctor than I am now dealing with a situation that is challenging, but was made uniquely challenging by the effects of the pandemic, but actually affected my ability to communicate. So with this, let's put ourselves in the emergency department midway through the first wave with COVID being very much an unknown entity and a challenge to manage generally. I was tasked of being in resus as a senior FY2 to manage some of the COVID cases that were coming in and we were quite busy at that time and I was in the resus department with a chap who was in his mid to late 80s who had come from a nursing home which we well knew had COVID at the time. He came in profoundly hypoxic on the maximum oxygen requirement with a distended abdomen and was evidently suffering very severely from COVID pneumonitis. And there'd been no advanced care planning had been done in the past. He'd been very comfortable in his nursing home for the last three or four years. And the family did not know he had COVID. The nursing home had been isolating him and therefore the family weren't fully up to speed of what was going on. He arrived in recess in a very poor state. Respiratory rate was very high, distressed, anxious, in pain from his abdomen. And there was evidently something very wrong with this guy. He was determined through our fast triage system at that point that he wasn't for escalation outside of ward level care. So therefore, the maximum care he would receive would be the 15 litres non-rebreed that he was receiving at the time. So he was evidently going to die very imminently. I spoke to the consultant. We made a clear decision that we would continue to treat actively for a short period of time, give antibiotics, but with the expectation that he was likely to die. So start to provide some end-of-life medications, your morphine, your midazolam and whatnot. The most difficult bit was speaking to the family. The family had no idea that he was there. The family hadn't been told he had COVID. The last time the family had seen him had been three months prior when he was essentially well, albeit had significant dementia, didn't really remember them all that well. That discussion left a bit of a mark on me because it's something I had to do over the telephone. But perhaps the most challenging part of that discussion and something that most doctors who've been exposed to the realities of what COVID meant to us as clinicians will be able to reflect on. We had that discussion. I said, do you know he's here? No, I didn't know he was here. Do you know that he's sick? No, I didn't know he was sick. All this in a conversation with the daughter. Daughter puts the telephone on loudspeaker, so we're all sat there. They can all hear me. I'm broadcasting to what appears to be a room of about sort of five to ten people. Because I can hear lots of different voices going on in the background. And the reality is, I tell them that he's got COVID. He's very, very sick and he's very likely to die in the next hour or two. And you can hear wails and cries in that room, but perhaps the most difficult bit was the relative saying can I come and see him I don't care if he's got COVID I want to see him for the last time and we couldn't and that was a really difficult 
discussion to have. And one of the challenges, and perhaps part of the reason I'm slightly more doomed to this and I'm slightly more steel-hardy and a bit more firm about these things is because there was no way you can ever do that conversation and the outcome be a positive outcome that the relatives are ever going to look back on and feel happy about because that's the reality of the situation that sometimes you are faced with. You do not get to decide the situation a patient finds themselves in. That's the pathology and that's the medicine, that's the reality of the illness that they will have. Sometimes there is nothing else that you can do beyond be practical, be realistic with the family and explain the bad news. And it's the same when you tell relatives that someone has died. You cannot make that news any better to some extent. And I know Dr. Green will be sat there disagreeing with me to some extent, but this is the challenge of some of the things that we deal with sometimes as doctors. And to go away from that, I still think about that case every now and then. And I reflected on it a few years later and I found his case notes and went through and re reassured myself there's nothing we could have done. There is a reality to the job that we have in terms of the challenges of breaking that type of news. This gentleman died an hour or so later. I called the relatives back and I said, I'm so sorry he has now died. When can we see him? As it stands at the moment, there is no policy in place. He'll have to go to the morgue and then he has to wait a certain period of time before you can see the body. These are the challenges that you deal with. And as a doctor, you cannot always make that news pleasant to hear. You cannot always make that news pleasant. There is a certain amount of not niceness that being a doctor implies. You need to have a good network of people around you to support you. I remember having a very good couple of consultants. I spoke to them about that case, but you had to crack on. You had to move forward. Some certain personalities would really struggle with that. That's one of the realities of being a doctor is those difficult discussions that you have to have. I, I agree with you, Mark, and, and this is actually a really difficult situation. I think a lot of the doctors that were working in the hospitals around uh, COVID, uh, around the pandemic, experienced a lot of really difficult scenarios of where families could not be around their loved ones when they were passing away or just going through a really difficult time. I, I wanted to follow up on a question there, and I wanted I wanted to know how you dealt with that, with the feelings that you got from that, or in general, how you deal with the with the residual feeling that you have after really difficult situations. I know I have ones and I go back home and they stay with me. It's not really easy to just get over what happened at work and just switch off. Anything to say to junior doctors or something that you do yourself that, that helps you in these scenarios? I think, I think it's they the affect us a lot of the time. Yeah. It's the reality of a job that you do. And I went into medicine fully expecting to have to do things like that. So perhaps I'm slightly more reassured and sheltered of myself because I knew that was something I may have to do. But it's extremely emotionally challenging if you're not able to deal with that. There's very different approaches to medicine generally. And both me and Dr. Green would have slightly different approaches. We all have slightly different approaches. If you are slightly more sheltered away from the patient, that is a much easier task. One of the challenges when you become emotionally invested is you are much more likely to feel the emotional impact of the decisions that you make. I make decisions on a day-to-day -day basis that carry significant impact to patients and I make a lot of very difficult decisions and perhaps one of my roles as a registrar and some of the success I've had in medicine is because I am able to be a little bit more brutal with people and therefore make decisions that are a little bit more challenging but that's a that becomes a personal thing and there are certain people who would struggle to do that and that reflects the, the art that is within medicine. It's people being able and having their own personal biases that make making certain decisions difficult. Certain people with certain religious backgrounds will struggle with certain things. Certain cultural happenstances that you were brought up with will affect your ability to be able to make some of these very difficult decisions. That's a bit of personal bias. And one of the things you have to be aware of when you are breaking bad news, when you're dealing with advanced care planning, 
you will have your own personal spin based on the experiences you've had, not just in medicine, but your whole life. There are certain patients I struggle to palliate and struggle to care for more because I've had more personal experience with it, and that's part of the challenge of being a doctor. Even as someone that's reasonably steely like I am clinically, you can still be impacted by that. Dr. Greenwood's smiling along because I'm sure he knows a couple of cases that could crack me open, but that's the reality of, of medicine. That's part of the reason I enjoy it, but part of the reason it's still a challenge. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a challenge, and I think that even even with experience, some cases still get to you, and I, I'm one of the people that doesn't want that part of me to die with time. I, I, I will want to feel those cases when they happen because they're what makes us human and I think that a big part of the job is just being human. Uh, moving on to you Dr. <laughs> Dr. Greenwood, Elliot uh, I want to hear one of the stories that you experienced and yeah maybe you want to share with us and I would like to also hear how you deal with these emotional challenges as a doctor. Well I I was also a COVID doctor, I, did, I was probably on the COVID world as a local doctor, so I have lots of similar cases to Mark, which which aren't great. I guess well, I was one night on call, I do remember I had seven deaths in one night, and there was this gentleman in a side room who passed away on 15 metres of auction. His wife was also on the ward, and I remember having to walk to the ward in the bay and say, I'm really sorry, your husband down the corridor has passed away. And I wheeled her in on a wheelchair with her eight liters of oxygen as well, because she was also in type 1 respiratory failure. And as soon as she saw him, she was like, I'm going with him and started pulling her oxygen mask off. So um, <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. That, that is a fantastic in a way. I really respect that response. That is quite... That shows you yeah. what patients can be like with these types of news. Yeah, yeah, She was like, I'm going with him. I was like, no. And they'd been together. They'd been married for, um, I think, 65 years. She loved him dearly. And I can still picture it now where she was sat in the wheelchair with the oxygen mask on. And I think one of the worst things I had to do was disconnect his oxygen, because obviously I wheeled her in on a cylinder. I had to disconnect his oxygen that he'd been up to and hook her up to the oxygen on the wall and put, put it up to eight litres so, so she could spend more time with him, because obviously the oxygen in her tank was running out. And I sat with her and I held her hand as she cried and told me about their life together and how it wasn't fair. And I think I spent, I was only able to spend probably about half an hour holding her hand and just listening to her. And all I did was sit and listen before, unfortunately, I got called about another person who passed away. So I think COVID was a bit of an outlier in terms of different cases. Uh, one of the most recent ones, which I've had to experience as a registrar, is actually a bit weird, actually, in terms of, and all the gentleman in recess was brought in. And I was asked to see him as the medical reg because the ED consultant and the ED registrar and his daughter, a GP, couldn't make a decision. So he'd come in, collapsed with the ambulance crew. They thought there was some ST changes. Turns out it's some ST elevation. And they were wondering, well, you know, what do we do? He's got a little bit of cognitive impairment. His memory's been getting worse. He's got no advanced care planning in at the minute. So the daughter was in tears. She, they were discussing about whether to thrombolize or not. And I think he had some bleeding risk factors and it actually was an easy decision to make at all. But for some strange reason, the most junior medical reg was was left with that decision. So I, I went in and I spoke to him who was hypotensive. He wasn't doing well at all. He was on a lot of oxygen. I spoke to the daughter and the daughter was like, I don't know what to do. Do we thrombolize him? Do we not? I literally knew. I don't know how I knew, but I said, it's not your decision to make. It's mine. And I took that decision off her and she was so grateful and so thankful. And I said, what we'll do is we'll manage him conservatively. We did a bit of advanced care planning. Everybody's in agreement. I called the other two daughters in and I said, we'll see how he gets on. I'll give him all of the ACS treatment. We'll manage him conservatively. I don't think he's going to be candidate for PCI. I think I discussed it at the time they declined. And we discussed that we weren't going to thrombolize him due to his bleeding risk. 
and we moved him into a side room to to pass away with his two daughters. And it was under intense pressure in the A&E department that when I did officially make him end of life because he started getting agitated and I started having to use things like the Dazzle and everything else, the A&E consultant kind of turned to me and went, oh, we're really desperate for beds. Can we move that guy out into the middle of the A&E department or a corridor? Uh, I, I advocately said no. I was like, absolutely not. That's it's not a chance. And the A&E consultant herself got quite upset at this point. And um, obviously it wasn't a decision she made lightly. She had ambulances piling up and people in resource and that needed beds as well. So there are cases that kind of stick with you and you do remember but what is really strange is these horrible situations where you are managing sick people at the end of their life. Families will thank you. And all three daughters came up to me and, and said thank you. I didn't feel like I deserved anything. I felt horrible because I wasn't giving this man enough dignity or I wasn't I wasn't able to palliate him how I would want to ideally palliate him moving to a side room, you know, give him and his family dignity. You know, he died in a He's in a busy A&E department, you know, getting interrupted and things. But they were still thankful. And so, it, so it's really hard sometimes. These cases do touch you. And it's important to go home and try and decompress and realise that at the end of the day, you have done a good job or the best that you can do. But yeah, Mark, is that kind of, does that kind of resonate with the sort of stuff you've had to deal with? Absolutely. And I think it's one of the challenges of being a medical registrar is managing people who are dying in the emergency department because it's one of the the worst bits of a job and it's one of the challenges that you have to deal with. I was going to close by saying I think it's a very important point. I think COVID changed my attitude to some of this stuff. I think most registrars are a little bit more willing to have those discussions because we have had to have them by no choice. And I look at our colleagues around us. I think we are generally quite good as a group now, certainly much better than we were in the past to lead these types of discussions to make sure the right outcomes are met for our patients. I think there was a time when it was much more difficult to have these types of discussions and we struggled and patients ended up receiving care that they didn't need to receive or that didn't help them in their in their lives. So I actually feel thankful we're able to have those discussions. And I think it's an awareness that generally speaking is good for the patient. So I think it's a good thing overall. So I'd like to sort of end the discussion with that it's important to observe people doing these things well and badly. I once had a consultant when asked what my chances uh, got a coin out of his pocket and said heads or tails. I don't think that's a particularly good way of, of, of breaking bad news or, or doing events care planning. So I think it's important to witness what you don't want to be like and what you do want to be like and, and to kind of keep practicing with people watching you to get feedback. And most importantly, if you find something upsetting or find a case difficult, do discuss it with somebody. Don't don't just try and manage it by yourself. That's basically what I would say to everyone. Absolutely. I agree. And I wanted to comment on the stories that you've told us because they're they're all really difficult scenarios to have gone through as a doctor. And I, I think that maybe with experience, we start kind of being more resilient towards these stories. But uh, in a lot of the times they stay with us and they affect us in ways and they are things that we are always reminded of when when we try and remember stories that happen at work we kind of remember these things and and, and sometimes they don't really land in a, in a positive way with us they sometimes land in a negative way and we have to always find ways to deal with these emotions by maybe expressing them to people around us and just having support from people around you about these things because it's important for you to process these emotions as a person as well because 
if you want to keep giving, you need to have enough for you to be able to give. Yeah, I just wanted to thank both of you for an amazing episode. I think it was very informative. I hope our listeners will find it uh, as informative as I did. Thank you for sharing your experience and your expertise in this. And yeah, uh, we'll see you in, in the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Airwave. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and learned something new. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to our podcast on your favorite platform and look out for our content on YouTube.